You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 318. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Onika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey son, hey son! This is the show about cats. Yes, that's yes, correct. That's the right. We, we said that last week that since we were so depressing, the news was so depressing last week, we should only talk about cats because internet likes cats. Everybody likes cats. <laughs> yeah, if if we wanted to boost our uh, reach, I think we should yeah. be posting videos of cats. That would work. Yeah, that, that would, would do the no, trick. But unfortunately, we won't do that. We will be depressing you again this week i'm afraid <laughs> i will start with something that happened uh yesterday in my hometown which is mm-hmm. not skeptical but i just have to mention it we had a terrible thing happening there was a student in one of the schools who attacked and killed two teachers wow with a knife and an axe i think we don't know all the details yet wow this is not the school my son is going to but he knows we know several students who go to that school. They were not involved, obviously, but it is a big tragedy. And um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that, except that it's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. Do we know what the motive was or what, how, how it all started? We will probably know more later. And of course, the police are very... You know, they keep it a lot to themselves because they're still investigating. Understandably, the yeah. guy, the guy there was, uh, he was 18 years old. He was a student of the school. He went there and did this. And uh, he then called the police to report what he had done. Other people had by then also reported it, but he was taken away. And uh, the only thing that is known that he said that he hated them. Yeah, make of the... What you will, you, you don't know. Well, children, one lesson. Yeah. If you hate someone, you don't have to kill them. If you hate another nation, you don't have to invade their country. Ah. Okay? Mm. So that's a very important lesson for all adults or yeah. adults to be. Out <laughs> there. Hating in private is mm. a good thing, you know? Yeah, or, or not hating at all. Not uh, hating yes, at all is yes. like the, the preferred <laughs> thing, but I know yeah. that it's. Especially as teenagers, it's it's hard to regulate your emotions. Yeah. Yes, but you know there are specialists who there, and there are also ways to, yeah, to learn that, that exactly. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, my condolences go out to to the families. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. mine too. Terrible. You know, I mean, the whole th- thing is shocking. But what's really a thought-provoking thing about this is that no one has really realized before the action happened that this might at some point occur no I mean, we hear in in we hear about in the US we hear about these things all the time so much so that we don't even think a lot about it unfortunately because we're so numb from all the reporting i think in sweden we have never really seen the this kind well it's happened a few times but in, it's very 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 unusual so mm-hmm. i think our system is naive and not picking this up quickly enough because you don't think it would happen. Uh, I, uh, then again, I don't want to put the blame on anybody. Maybe this came out of nowhere. Very hard yeah. to say. Might as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
But it seems you know to what? be one disturbed individual who did this. It was nothing. Yeah, yeah. Nothing organized. No reason to think that it will happen again uh, soon. I don't. I don't think this is something that is going to sort of spread or was planned mm-hmm. by a yeah. nefarious organization. You know, n- nothing like that. It's mm-hmm. hopefully going to be continue to be very, very rare or non-existent. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. But still, it's important to try to find out what the background, the backstory of something yeah, like this which is, I'm sure, so that you can try to avoid it later. Which I'm sure a lot of professionals are doing at the moment. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. We have our own other depressing stories to talk about. This is one thing I want to mention because it makes the rounds. There is a qu- quite an extraordinary heat wave going on both in the Arctic and Antarctica at the same time. Mm. So if you haven't heard, uh, and I think you have heard because it's been rather across the internet, weather stations near the North Pole shows uh, signs of melting ice with some uh, temperatures 30 centigrades above normal for this time of the year. That's 54 degrees Fahrenheit for our American friends. And in Antarctica, it's even more incredible. Last weekend, some places were 40 degrees above what's normal, and that's 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so uh, can we talk centigrade? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I'm ju- I, ju- I just know we have a lot of American listeners. I don't want to leave them out. <laughs> yeah, but they should learn to count temperature in Celsius anyway. But until they do, I will humor them. Accessibility is always nice. <laughs> yes, yes. So w- one weather station in Antarctica beat its all-time record by 15 centigrades. Okay. So, so 27 Fahrenheit, Anders. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All this sounds like we're absolutely screwed. I mean, it sounds fantastic to me. But as we are fond of saying on this show, I think you'll find that it's a little bit more complicated than that. Because if you dig in a bit deeper, this is what I hear experts say about this. First of all, that it's extremely warm in both poles at the same time is just a coincidence. They're not connected in time or space or anything. It's just a coincidence. These things do happen. Obviously, records are not broken every day, but things happen. Also, there are some places, at least one station in Antarctica, that reported cooler than normal temperatures. So it goes both ways. It's not the entire Antarctica that is burning, if you will. And there is also no significant melting happening in Antarctica because of this, because it's still below zero. And in fact, the warm weather brought with it extraordinary snowfalls, which means that the net effect right now from this weekend was that there was a huge increase in snow in Antarctica. And this is snow that will become ice. So we're not, we were not losing ice in Antarctica because of this thing. But it was still a big surprise for scientists. Normally, weather in Antarctica is much more stable. In the Arctic region, though, in the North Pole, we are used to having big swings like this. That is much more unstable, much more variable. But then again, to make it more complicated, if ice is melting in the Arctic, it doesn't contribute directly so much to rising sea levels, what we, which we are afraid of or we don't want, because that ice is already in the water. So if it melts, it's still in the water. What does happen is, of course, that warm water take up more space than cool water. If the water becomes warmer, it will long-term contribute to higher sea levels. 
So it's complicated. And, and also remember, Greenland is the biggest contributor of ice from land into water at the moment. So that's where we should look more. But still, something is wrong, but we shouldn't expect there to be suddenly 40 degrees above normal in Europe. It's not like that is happening. It's not something that we suddenly live on a planet that is 30 to 40 degrees warmer than it has been before. That's not what's happening. This is a temporary thing. It's most likely connected to global warming. It is worrying, but it's not the end of the world this week. We will save it for later. (laughs) (laughs) let's go back to cats okay (laughs) yeah Yeah, one thing is for sure Pontus you're not gonna be our morale officer anytime soon (laughs) no I'm sorry about that (laughs) but I think the reason I wanted to mention it was that you get the wrong impression if you if you read just the headline saying it's now 40 degrees warmer than normal in Antarctica and 30 in on the North Pole that's just a temporary blip it's important but it's not like we have suddenly woken up on a warmer planet. Well, we wake up on a warmer planet every day. Yeah, but it's in very small fractions of degrees. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, we have a packed show prepared for today. Why don't we start with This Week in Skeptical History, also known as Twish. Yay! And it's the day of the recording, which is the 23rd of March. Well, the anniversary of the launch of a very important organization could be celebrated if it was any cause for celebration. (laughs) But unfortunately, that was the launching of Benito Mussolini's fascist party in 1919. So right after the First World War, where he was a war veteran, he was very much a supporter of Italy going into war back in uh, 1914. What he established this as was named the Fasci Italiani di Combattimento, or the Italian Fighting Bands or Leagues. That was an organization that basically launched the whole movement of fascism that was named after his efforts, his political activities. And a couple of years later, it was made into, in 1921, it was turned into the actual National Fascist Party, which became, soon after that, the ruling party of Italy. And why I wanted to mention that is because how Mussolini came to power and how Mussolini led the fascist movement was very much like what we see currently in, let's say, Russia. One of the most important means for him to gain popularity and support, apart from the militia that he brought to life, which was the so-called black shirts, that militia basically scared the shit out of people because uh, all the political opponents were basically removed and it was like a paramilitary organization from the get-go. That's one thing. Fear is one very powerful tool to try to get rid of your opponents. 
after all, when he became the leader of not only the party, but a de facto dictator of Italy, he was very strict about whom to get license to be a journalist as well. Only those who were favorable to his movement and his personality, which was blown way out of proportion because that was a massive cult-like organization that he built around his own personality. And that was very much like what we see in Putin. And the other thing was his use of propaganda. He issued a lot of leaflets. Printed press was one of the most important means for him to control the public's idea of the public opinion about everything. And he brought to life something that is still going on today, but with a very different mandate. And that is the part of Rome that is called Cinecittà. And Cinecittà is where the first movie sets were put together and they built a complete city around it. That was where the propaganda movies were shot in really? Mussolini's time. Yeah. Yes, all that. And then it became much more of a peaceful thing after the Second World War when the Italian movie really took off and... Um, yeah, basically those studios were used and developed further, but he he brought Cinecita to life, basically. Yes, I wanted to mention that. So the beginning of the fascist movement, when he went against the communists, especially the interesting fact that um, he was acquainted with them first. Yeah, it's an interesting part of history, I think that has, unfortunately, a lot of resemblance to what's going on today. Unfortunately, history tends to repeat itself. Do you want to hear something pretty funny that I just discovered? Uh, discovered, yeah. What, um, what is it? When he said Cinecita, I was like, wait, I know this name. There's a cinema that I've been going to uh -huh. that's called Cinecita, and it's in Nuremberg. <laughs> Do you think what, what happened in Nuremberg with certain fascist people? Then it's just like, interesting name choice, guys. <laughs> oh, by the way, now that you mentioned Nuremberg, you probably know Annika, but some of our listeners might not, that Hitler was basically copying Mussolini's methods, but he way outgrew his master. Hmm. So... After a while, Mussolini became the fanboy of Hitler's, but the very methods that Hitler used for propaganda purposes were the methods first used by Mussolini. But Mussolini's uh, propaganda machine with Cinecittà and all that uh, started in 1937 only. So mm. uh, by that time, obviously, Hitler way outgrew him. Yeah. Interestingly, we will mention Putin's film propaganda later on this show. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> so, yes, I, I wouldn't say celebrate, but let's, let's keep the memory of that event, the launching of the predecessor of the fascist party on the 23rd of March, 1919, by Benito Mussolini, <laughs> or his complete name was Benito Amilcare Andrea Mussolini. Just saying. So BAM, basically. BAM, yes. <laughs> no, he was Il Duce, the leader, the head. Yeah. All right. So I think maybe we should go from one head to another, right? 
Oh, yeah, you're referring to the Pope who needs some poking, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pontus, what have you got? All right, let's continue a little bit with the history lessons here, very shortly, because it's a background for today's thing. In 1917, three young children who were acting as shepherds reported several sightings of angels, and especially of the Virgin Mary. This was in Portugal, near the village of Fatima. You may have heard of this. They were told several things by these apparitions, but especially the Virgin Mary told them that intense prayers would end the Great War, which of course is what we now call World War I. The whole thing with the apparitions culminated on the 13th of October when the children had predicted that Mary would appear again to perform miracles. And there's a huge crowd that showed up and uh, it is said that they witnessed the sun quote-unquote dance and other strange things as well after staring into the sun. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't stare into the sun. (laughs) You are bound to see strange things and you are bound to hurt your eyes. Anyway, this is known as the Miracle of the Sun, or the Miracle of Fatima. And one main legend that came out of that was that Mary ordered the Pope, that is the wording, she ordered the Pope and all Catholic bishops to, quote, consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary, end quote. I don't know exactly what that means. It's word (laughs) salad to me, but I'm a stupid atheist, I don't know. (laughs) I guess it means praying. Praying and uh, talking to God in your uh, fancy dress. This would, said Virgin Mary, quote, usher in a period of world peace, end quote. And there are several popes that have done something like this over the years. Pius XII, Paul IV, John Paul II did it twice, Benedict XVI, and Francis himself has consecrated the world to Mary with reference to this uh, happening. And uh, Pius XII specifically mentioned, quote, the peoples of Russia in 1952. Frankie visited the village of Fatima in 2017 to mark the 100-year anniversary of the miracle. But there's something that has been missing all this time, most certainly because of political reasons. No pope has ever consecrated, quote-unquote, Russia as a country during all this time. And um, that's what's relevant for this segment today, because Francis has been criticized for not calling out Russia in the current war against Ukraine. He has now decided to fix that error. On the 25th of March, which is the day this uh, episode will come out, hopefully, he will do it properly. And he has asked all bishops around the world as uh, Mary has instructed to join him. Not physically, of course, but from a distance. Francis will be in (laughs) Rome, and there will be a simultaneous ceremony in Portugal in a church dedicated to this miracle. Now, there's so many layers of broken logic in this that I hardly know where to start. So it's Harry Potter level of finally daring to say Voldemort's name out loud. How can <laughs> I, I don't know how this can possibly make sense, but to some people, this is extremely important. The Russian Orthodox Church thinks this is a scandal, what the Pope is about to do. They apparently cannot see any higher insult than being consecrated by the Pope. I thought being consecrated was a good thing. 
and being consecrated to the heart of the Virgin Mary. I don't know what it means, but it sounds... It's not a punishment, is it? It's not like he's using the Harry Potter Cruciatus curse or something on them. (laughs) Fans of Francis, on the other hand, they celebrate the fact that he's finally speaking out against Russia in this way. But here's the final blow. The things that really pulls away the rug from underneath of it all and makes me just question my sanity. Because Francis has said that he will also consecrate Ukraine at the same time. And mm, that is yeah. apparently fine with everybody. That's a, that's a compliment to Ukraine. But he's doing the same for Russia and that's taking a position against Russia. I'm totally at mm-hmm. a loss. I don't see one single aspect of this that makes any sense to me. I cannot see either how this is him taking one side or another in this conflict. He is, in my book, still trying to balance the two together and, and not blaming one one party or the other. But everybody else is saying that now he's finally taking a stand against Russia. And the problem is sometimes if you want to balance things, then you let the bad people win. And I'm not saying who the who's the bad person there, but you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very strange. We will see what happens on the 25th of March. If anything, he will say the magic words and uh, the world will be different somehow. I don't know. Amen. You know what? I'm willing to consider becoming a believer if that happens. (laughs) If it changes something, you mean? Yes. If suddenly the world will come to peace after this. Yes. I'd much rather have like magic, like... Harry Potter. <laughs> this is grown people. I, I can't believe it. This is grown people. <laughs> That's the thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, all, right. all right. Thank you very much for poking the Pope once again, Pontus. Thank you. Let's move on to the news. Oh, well, it's interesting what's going on up on the ISS, right? Yeah. You probably heard of the a, a couple of days ago the three Russian cosmonauts docked with the International Space Station. And they were wearing suits colored yellow and blue. Ooh. It, this was immediately picked up by the interwebs and speculation started circulating about whether or not these people were wearing the colors as a condemnation of Putin's war and an expression of support towards Ukraine maybe. Mhm. Well, wouldn't it have been nice? <laughs> but yeah, I'm um, sure they the, have the, a lot of suits there in all kinds of colors. They can just pick the one that they want to have for the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it would have been nice, but the truth is much more down to earth. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, Snopes fact-checked the claim, and they found that the photographs were actually real. Ooh. But the rest of it, it turned out to be just uh, wishful thinking. The suits are not chosen by the cosmonauts themselves in the first place. They have been decided on and made months before Russia started invading Ukraine. This might be one of those cases when what we see is actually a result of coincidence. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Is it? Is it really a coincidence? In a Telegram post, however, Roscosmos, the Russian space agency, said that, and I quote, sometimes yellow is just yellow. (laughs) <laughs> they and, said that? Uh, yeah so telegram is a social media platform that is very popular in russia actually they mentioned that these scholars were those of the bauman moscow state technical university 
and all three of the cosmonauts happen to have graduated there. It looks like it's it's like a commemoration of that fact. But still, it's understandable, isn't it, that that, that a lot of people start to think that it's, it's some some kind of a backhand attempt to, by Roscosmos to try and gain back the trust of, of the Western partners, because it's completely lost, apparently. Oleg Artemyev, one of the cosmonauts, was uh, joking about it. He said that, and I quote, it became our turn to pick a collar, but... Oh, I should probably do it in a Russian accent. <laughs> it became our turn to pick a color. But in fact, we had accumulated a lot of yellow material. So we <laughs> needed to use it. So that's why we had to wear yellow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm laughing about your accent, not about Russian people. Just <laughs> to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, I know. But the thing is that we don't know whether there is something like that. But if you've considered, in fact, how badly things are going for Roscosmos, really not looking good. <laughs> you know, they remind me of the little boy who pooed himself in the playground and now nobody wants to be near him. Poor thing doesn't have anything to do with it. It just happened to him. It's like Roscosmos happened to be under the control of Vladimir fucking Putin. But there are two major international collaborative projects that have been called off last week. So we talked earlier about the British company OneWeb, right? Mm -hmm. Who were planning to build a constellation of satellites to provide high-speed internet around the globe. So basically, they are competitors to SpaceX. But when the sanctions first hit Russia, Roscosmos announced they would not be providing their services to OneWeb as previously planned. These satellites would have been sent up by Soyuz rockets. But now, SpaceX and OneWeb seem to have made an agreement that Elon Musk's company will launch the partly government-owned British satellite. That's interesting. But there was another thing that is very, very disturbing to me. One other project got the red light, and that concerns ASA and its planned Mars rover, Rosalind Franklin. I've been really looking forward to the launch of that, which was scheduled for September 22. Well, it looks like it's suspended now indefinitely, there was a vote on the ESA Council on the 15th of March, and they unanimously voted that they would no longer continue with the joint mission due to the obvious tragedy that's going on in Ukraine as a result of the Russian invasion. But it's a really cool spacecraft. It's a really cool project that should not go to waste. Obviously, ESA thinks so too. Now they're looking to replace the part that were designed or made by Roscosmos, including some instruments and the radioisotopic heating. So very crucial parts of the mission have to be replaced if they want to go on with it. I just wanted to mention this because of my love for space exploration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and from one part about interesting technology, I want to talk about fake news on social media. And that also ties in with what we talked about with Mussolini. And that is also propaganda. There was a study done. They did it on TikTok and they basically just did some scrolling on the exploring page of TikTok. And they found out that you are handed disinformation within 40 minutes. That's four zero forty 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What they did is they opened up new TikTok accounts and they all said with these new accounts, we'll scroll for 45 minutes. And they found out that within 40 minutes, they would get fabricated news or misinformation. 
This was done by the anti-misinformation outlet Newsgrad. And yeah, they caution that especially TikTok is a bit difficult in that regard. They say if you only scroll on TikTok as a new account and you watch videos about the war, you'll end up on false information. They say that the app also doesn't distinguish between disinformation and reliable sources. So there's no info about trustworthiness of a source. There are no warnings. There are no fact checks and there's no additional information given. It's like what we know from Facebook or Instagram. And Instagram is even if you just say the word vaccine right now, there will be like a, a link in the bottom, like a bar. And that apparently doesn't exist on TikTok. I'll just give you like examples of what they found. They found this conspiracy theory about the bioweapons and the bioweapon labs in Ukraine, American ones. <laughs> they found talk about the ghost of Kiev and they also found actual Kremlin propaganda. They, of course, talk to TikTok and the TikTok spokesperson says that there can only limited conclusions be drawn from that because this test doesn't mimic standard viewing behavior. I don't know if that's true. If I'm bored, I'm scrolling a lot. Maybe not on TikTok, but <laughs> there's a reason why people call it doom scrolling. <laughs> so I don't know if, if the person is right, but I, I'm also not in a position to really judge about that. But what can be said is that the app had a big increase in content related to the war and it especially outpaces other bigger platforms. So they have like double the content, but half the size, basically. So yeah, it will be it will be interesting to see how that will develop in the next months. All right, so we're talking about fake news on f TikTok and false information. If you think still that Putin is not converting Russia into a bigger and badder version of North Korea, think again. Because uh, he's not content with regulating or spreading fake news only on social media. He is very well aware of the importance of spreading his own version of the so-called facts. The new victims of Russian propaganda are now schools and schoolchildren. Everything that mentions war or invasion in relation to what's happening in Ukraine is, of course, already forbidden in schools and also in the public discourse. But this now goes much further. School children and teachers are encouraged to post pro-Russian and pro-Putin posts on all social media. Children are filmed standing in the formation, the form of a Z. We've talked about that, how that became a symbol for the Russian army in Ukraine. Presentation material from schools have surfaced, one with the text on a slide, and this is a quote, fake. Russian military is attacking residential areas in Kharkiv. True, high-precision Russian weapons only strike military targets and do not hit civilians, which the Ministry of Defense has said many times, end quote. This is what they are presenting to uh, school children. The nerve on those people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, of course, schools are also telling the children that they should only trust official and so-called approved news. Everything else is fake, quote-unquote. There was a film. We mentioned film before in, in propaganda. A film has surfaced as well, which is called Defenders of the Peace. And already on 3rd of March, that's already three weeks ago, it had allegedly been shown to 5 million school children across Russia. So it must be many more by now. Russia's education minister, Sergei Kravtsov, or something like that, 
<laughs> has openly described schools as central to Moscow's fight to, quote, win the information and psychological war, end quote. So um, I started by saying comparing Russia with North Korea, and uh, they are getting there, I think. Is that indoctrination, indoctrination, and starting with the children is always, quote unquote, the best way to convert your population. Yeah, especially in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Something happened in the long run in Scotland. And this is something that's completely removed from the Russian war. <laughs> ah, that's Finally. what we need. Yeah. It's not about cats, though. I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, kind of. No, it's about dead cats. Kind of, yeah. All, all black cats. Uh, I read an opinion piece by, I'll try to pronounce it correctly, but it's probably wrong, by Ian Mackielsen. Or in German, we would pronounce his name Jan Michaelsen. I don't know if he's German or not. but he's... I, I prefer the German version. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but he is a lecturer in early modern history at Cardiff University. And he was talking about Nicola Sturgeon apologizing for the witch hunt cases in Scotland. And he worries that that harm might have been a mistake. And also tell you why. So Nicola Sturgeon apologized on International Women's Day, and I think that was about two weeks ago, to, and I quote, all those who were accused, convicted, vilified, or executed under the Witchcraft Act of 1563, end quote. Yes, we probably all know the witch hunts were a horrible thing in Europe, also outside of Europe. <laughs> and her apology follows a social media campaign for legal pardons, apologies, and a national monument in Scotland. I was actually surprised that Scotland doesn't have monuments because I know several in Germany. Most known are probably the ones in Cologne and Bamberg. There are also monuments in France and Spain. And interestingly, Scotland was the very brutal and bloody leader of the witch hunts in Great Britain. But what we also have to see is that Scotland was poorer than the other surrounding countries in that regard. And that's something that you can see throughout Europe, like the, the more difficult the situation was, the harder or like the more brutal the witch hunts also were. And it's also very complex. So yes, there is a lot of misogyny in the witch hunts, but it's also, yeah, as I said, very complex. Um, there were economic inequalities, the worsening climate, and there were many, many reasons that led to witch hunts, which made me think of nowadays. I'm just like, hmm, climate problems, economic problems. Hmm, let's not start a witch hunt, uh, please. <laughs> but what the author, Mark Hielsen, or wh however he's pronounced, says is that it's very important for him that not only a state or elites were responsible for the witch hunts. He says it, it wasn't the church, it wasn't the state, it wasn't elites, it was pretty much everyone. It was a collective thing. Everyone is witch hunter person <laughs> and everyone is to blame. And that's why he thinks it's, it's a wrong signal for a state to apologize, especially because the state of Scotland nowadays is not the state of Scotland in 1563. <laughs> I can see that point, but I also think it's important to acknowledge these things, even if it's posthumously to say like, hey, actually you weren't guilty. So yeah, it doesn't help you anymore because you're dead, but you, you weren't guilty. <laughs> so I think it's a nice message, but like I partly agree with, with the author, but not 100%. <laughs> what would you guys say? 
No, I, I'm a little bit surprised about this. I, I, of course, we know that Nicola Sturgeon did not persecute witches in the 1500s. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. That goes without saying. But still, I think somebody should take responsibility. And I think it sends a signal saying that we acknowledge now that whatever happened then was wrong. Yeah. And even if we are not the same state, we're not the same people, we also make this statement to point out that we acknowledge that this was wrong and it should never have happened. I, yeah, I think it's that's like fine. It made me think of genocides in Africa where Germany only apologized a few years ago. And I think, yes, the genocide happened in the 19th century. It wasn't the same national state of Germany that did that. But it's still important to, to acknowledge that. And yeah, I, I agree with you that it is important to, to at least state like, hey, we're incredibly sorry for that what happened and weren't right to do so. Yeah, but they're sorry in the sense of uh, being sad about something and acknowledging that it was terrible that these things happened and sorry being extremely apologetic. And I don't see the point in the latter. I mean, when uh, we heard Trudeau apologizing for what happened to the kids in the Catholic schools back in the day in Canada... Mm. I didn't really understand that. And I see another thing that it can lead to, and that is exactly the society that you live in, Annika. I very often have the feeling that for a long time, German society and generations of German people after the Second World War felt guilty about what happened during the, the, the Second World War. And it was not their fault. Yeah, it's a generational guilt, I guess, yeah. Exactly. So that should be avoided. I understand the need for acknowledgement of certain terrible things that happened. But I still think that when it comes to, and I'm referring back to the happenings in Canada, the only organization that should have actually apologized yep. did not. For both of these things. Because yeah. that organization is the very same organization that yeah. that was responsible Catholic for Church. all those, but that's all different. those killings. That, that, that's also more complicated because the bishops in Canada have apologized. It's just Francis who hasn't. And I think he should, even if he wasn't the Pope at the time. And he doesn't have to accept personal guilt, but he can apologize on behalf of the organization. And I think Nicola Sturgeon can yes. apologize on behalf of the Scottish country as such. That's a clear statement saying, we are not that way anymore. And we think that was wrong. We will never do that again, uh, even if it wasn't us doing it the first time. Yeah, but I see the risk of that slipping into something that can be characterized, especially by right-wing people, as overly, like, liberalism going crazy. Yeah, I don't mind that so much. I, I, don't, I don't see a problem <laughs> I mean, with that. So, and, and this is why I'm emphasizing the fact that the organization that was the head that was on top of those bishops that were responsible for the death of those children, is the same organization, even if it's not led by the same person. But the country that led to the Second World War and led to the death of so many people is not the same country anymore. And the country that now apologized for the witch hunts never even existed back then. It's weird in a way. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think maybe it should be something that is not an apology, but something like an acknowledgement. 
you know yes i think yes. uh, acknowledging things and open up discussions about it creating a monument and remembering is it is is very different to apologizing about it and it also has a lot about like the culture of, of history and how yes. we work with that so yeah thanks thanks for your input guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right that, that, i guess that's that's complicated i think we <laughs> we, we could it spend is. a lot of time talking about that i think we sort of agree it's just a question of the words we're using. Just one more thing. Can you remember one thing that the Catholic Church apologized for? No. Hmm. In their own way. Yes, yeah, right. Galileo. Galileo, yeah. Right. Uh, just 359 years later. So it was not an actual apology, but they acknowledged that that was wrong, <laughs> what they did back then. And that's that's good enough. All I right. think that works. Yeah. Okay, finally, something good. At least someone doing something good. And uh, you can all help, at least if you live in Portugal. Our friends there in the skeptic group called Comcept, they have opened the voting procedure for this year's Flying Unicorn Awards. So listeners who have been with us over the years will recognize this, and I will read more or less directly from Comcept's website. A little bit Google Translate and a little bit my own uh, tinkering, but uh, I think it uh, brings the point better. The Flying Unicorn Prize, a happy prize for unfortunate performances, is a satirical distinction granted by Comcept at the suggestion of internet users to personalities or entities that during the previous year have contributed to the dissemination of pseudoscience, superstition, and other forms of disinformation. So this is an ironic set of prizes. People can vote uh, for their favorite, not-so-favorite nominees until uh, 30th of March, so a few more days as this comes out, and the winners of each category will be revealed, as always, on uh, April 1st, which is April Fool's Day. And there are four categories. First, there is the Shooting Star. This is for television stars, artists, sports personalities, or celebrities. Then we have the phonograph or the graphonola. This is for media and their agents. So this is for entities. So for printed media, radio, television. Then we have the Don Quixote for the most alienated assertion of theory, for the refusal to face reality and for the defense of the indefensible. And the last category is the emperor has no clothes, <laughs> which is to all others who don't make it into the other three categories, I guess. To everyone who enjoys yeah. running naked. <laughs> well, that, well, that I, I think is encouraged. I think that's a problem. <laughs> anyway, the, the, this category is to all others who make or contribute to the propagation of dubious allegations without or against evidence. So um, uh, go and vote. There's still a few days left. There is a list of candidates for each category uh, to choose from. You just check the boxes for the ones you vote for. I will not read out all the candidates here. You can go and watch yourself. Uh, but then we will surely uh, report on the lucky, well, not so lucky winners. Mm, exciting. <laughs> So I'd like to finish the new segment on something that uh, we often mention, and it's not going to be very surprising, but it might be a useful ammunition in arguments against homeopathy. Mm -hmm. So we've mentioned on this show as well, All Trials, a very important campaign that aims to try to force every conductor of clinical trials 
to register their trials beforehand and then being forced to publish the material of the registered uh, trials and the results. This is very important because otherwise something that is called a reporting bias can easily occur, which means that if you don't like the results, you don't publish the results, or if you don't register something, then you're free to decide whether you publish or don't publish the results. That's very important when it comes to things, dubious claims, like the ones that are made by homeopaths. So that was something that is called a cross-sectional study and a meta-analysis on many, many clinical trials of homeopathy between 2002 and 2019. And that was done by Austrian researchers from Danube University Krems. And the results are not very surprising. So what am I talking about? They found that almost 38% of their registered homeopathy trials have remained unpublished. That means that there might have been a result that was unfavorable to homeopaths. Sure. Uh, so the way to go was not publishing it. And 53% of published randomized controlled t- trials have not been registered previously. So that means that, or that could mean that they weren't completely sure as to what the outcomes might be, which is a good thing, but uh, they published something that had not been previously registered so that they had no obligation to publish. Right. And we don't know how many they did, how many studies that were conducted, but they never released because they never registered them in advance. Yeah. But then came the mass analysis, which supported this very notion that it might have something to do with the results of the clinical trials, whether they were favorable or not favorable. This is interesting, but that means that when it comes to assessing the validity of all the body of evidence that we currently have about homeopathy, we need to take that into consideration as well. There seems to be a massive reporting bias when it comes to something so ridiculous <laughs> as homeopathy. Yet another reason why we should really not take homeopathy seriously. And with that recently published paper, I think we should move on to finding out who's been really wrong, apart from homeopaths and Putin. <laughs> <laughs> and witch hunters. Okay, quite a few people this time. Nothing is so bad that stupidity cannot make it worse. Millions of refugees are now on the move within Ukraine and also leaving Ukraine into neighboring countries. These countries include Poland, which have featured quite a lot in this segment over the years. But this time it's not directly about the piss party, even if they have probably helped in preparing the scene somewhat. As we know... There are strong anti-abortion sentiments and movements in Poland. Now, what has that got to do with Ukrainian refugees? Plenty. There is an anti-abortion organization called, without irony, quote, the Life and Family Foundation, end quote. Oh, man. (laughs) So they wanted to do something for the arriving refugees. They came up with a brilliant idea to go to the border and greet everyone with anti-abortion flyers. Not money, not blankets, offers of shelter and food, 
but anti-abortion propaganda, saying, quote, abortion is the greatest threat to peace, end quote. And it uh, doesn't stop there, because others wanted to chime in on the same subject. And I'm going to butcher a lot of Polish names, but uh, you know what to do. And uh, to be honest, this time I don't care so much. There's one guy, Wojciech Cieba, who is president of the Polish Association for the Defenders of Human Life. You can understand what that's all about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he made this statement, quote, Despite the experience of the cruelty of war, the world still divides children into wanted and unwanted, end quote. Father Thomas Kancelarczyk, head of the Little Feet Foundation. I don't know what that is. That sounds interesting. But it he had this cute. to say. Yeah, he had, well, Little Feet is probably uh, alluding to small feet of the newborn children. Maybe, I don't know. He had this to say anyway. Quote, one cannot demand one justice while neglecting another justice that doesn't exist. There is no justice towards the unborn in Ukraine and in Russia, in Europe and in the world, end quote. But I think the price of everybody here goes to Jasnagora Monastery in Częstochowa, and they tweeted on their official tweet channel, quote, Although the war takes a tragic toll and the number of victims continue to increase, the most people are killed as a result of abortion. Right. <sighs> So, uh, so, yeah. And after that, Václav Depo, who is the Archbishop of Częstochowa, he declared that, quote, Despite the ongoing war in Ukraine and the threats in Poland and in the world, we must not be enslaved by fears about the future and lose hope in the face of, here it comes, planned dechristianization and depopulation, end quote. And he's talking about abortion as well. <laughs> well, it's like... Climate change or war or like that that's not threatening at all. It's actually dechristianization that we should be really afraid about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so lots of people involved this time, but for having the goal to compare abortions, which are perfectly fine and sometimes necessary medical procedures with the atrocities of war and for harassing fleeing and desperate people with this nonsense instead of lending a helping hand. All of the above-mentioned people and organization in Poland get today's prize for being really wrong. And I will list them forever, individually, with their names on our website for their eternal shame. Yes, <laughs> do it. Very well deserved. Yeah. Especially because it's so ironic that especially men always want to tell women what to do with their bodies and then... Once the kid is born, I just like, huh, I don't care, you know? Yeah, that's right. It's just like, it's never about little people and babies. It's never about that. It's always, it's just about being misogynistic assholes. That's right. <laughs> I should have added that. Yeah, for being misogynistic assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the above. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Thank you. So... That is the last thing that we have prepared for today. But we need a quote to finish on, Onika. Yes. And I was actually baffled that we never quoted this person before. Because mm. today's quote comes from Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. It's out of Philosophical Essays. Um, that's the name. <laughs> and he was a German philosopher, lawyer, historian and mathematician 
and lived from 1646 to 1716. And the reason why we haven't had him is because we couldn't pronounce his name. <laughs> Probably. We're waiting for you, Annika. Very likely. Yes, yes. Without you, we couldn't have done it. <laughs> and the quote is, There is nothing in the understanding which has not come from the senses except the understanding itself, or the one who understands. <laughs> wow. I don't understand. That, that, that was deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is deep. But interestingly, what I thought about is that, ironically, we can also gain knowledge through mathematics, which is not a sense then. Hmm. And he was a mathematician. <laughs> so ah. I found oh. that pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Now that you mention it, yeah. All right. But we will leave that thought for another day. <laughs> But that's definitely food for thought. But that brings us to the end of the show. I mean, this episode. <laughs> And Bye. <laughs> no, we're not leaving for good because we are coming back next week. So thank you very much, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so because next week we'll be back. <laughs> And until then, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis slat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe <laughs> What crocodile is that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Propaganda and Chinichita, right? <laughs> um because um there was yeah. a study done. Don't don't, by... pl don't play with your pen, Andros. Yeah, you're we playing can hear with, that. You're playing with your pen. It's rather disturbing. We can hear it very clearly. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. I was like, is I'm Pontus almost still asleep. Typing? It was it was all it was last week as well uh, in the and I was there were things that it, even when you were talking you did that it was hard to get out cut out <laughs> me yes. really yes you did <laughs> oh and for once it's amateur. not me that's the hardest to edit <laughs> fucking fucking amateur yeah. <laughs> oh. victims continued nay fan i helvet they're so to lesser sounds good that. Uh, better than what I'm trying to say in English. <laughs> <laughs>